0: Welcome, everyone, to another wonderful interview on We Talk About Dead People. I couldn't let George continue to outdo me in the interview front. He actually goes out and meets real-life people who he invites on the show. I tend to send people emails at, like, 3 in the morning. Who I admire and say, hey, would you please come on the show? And that's it. But this time I actually got a real one. Uh, we're gonna be, we're gonna have the uh, special opportunity to talk to Dylan Kleinschmidt of the Yerkes Observatory. How did this happen? I don't know, but it was kind of weird. So I was, I found myself browsing through old photographs, and among these old photographs was something. Again, I mean, shocker! It was from the World's Fair, and it was a giant telescope. I was like, wow, that's kind of. It's kind of cool. So I saved the picture because it was pretty neat. And then I realized that there was an observatory not far from me that was doing tours. And so I set one up and went on it. And halfway through the tour, I step into the room and there's that friggin' telescope. And I had no idea it was there. So it was like a weird, super weird coincidence. And so we got this awesome tour from this hilarious tour guide. And then at the end, I just kind of poked him and pulled him aside. I was like, hey, uh, do you do podcasts? and he said, get away from me, you filthy animal. I don't talk to podcasters, I don't associate with your, (laughs) I'm just kidding. He was immediately like, what podcast? And I was like, I'm glad you asked. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to Dylan Kleinschmidt and of course George is here. So say
1: hello everybody. Hi. (laughs) Hey everybody, this is Dylan. Glad to be here, glad to be invited to it. I'm excited, looking forward to it.
0: Have you ever been on a podcast before?
1: No. really? Uh-uh. sure have. No, I sure have not. Yeah. And I'm, <clears throat> bear with me. I'm a little nervous. I mean, I sure. I do public speaking as a career, but uh, those are, I'm used to that and it's isolated. But this, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm i not big at being like, you know, ask questions sent like, I don't know. I don't know. I've just never been that kind of guy, but but this this is for a good cause, and it's going to be a lot of fun and very exciting.
0: Yeah, well, we're ha- we're really happy to have you. And you know, I get being nervous. I have I we just did an episode with a guy I listened to on podcasting for years, and every time I get on with somebody who I've been listening to but have never talked to, and I can actually like talk back to them, I get super jittery and shaky. And what's weird is like. We're doing video right now. And that always bothers me. It's like, I don't like being on camera, but, uh, yeah, yeah like same. Said, <laughs> it's audio only, you know, we only, we have to look at each other and it's mainly, so we don't constantly step on each other. So with that, uh, I'd like to just jump right out of the gate. I mean, I, I have never seen a building as cool as the Yerkes observatory. So, um, I, I know there's a lot of history in there and how it how it uh, came to be. So I mean, if you'd like to start from the top, how did this how did this project get off the ground?
1: You know, it's interesting. You say it's the coolest building that you've ever seen because it's by far the coolest building I've ever seen too. I've lived in the area for years. I went to college in the area, everything like that, and I never knew it existed. And turns out, uh, a lot of people haven't. Even some locals haven't even heard of it like going back to its origins we got to go back about 126 years uh october 21st 1897 to be exact so we actually celebrated our 126th birthday uh not that long ago and uh it all starts with uh, a young prodigy by the name of george ellery hale so when he was 14 years old his father bought him his first telescope and the rest is history as they say he never stopped looking up and he uh, paved the way in higher education in the astronomy department at the University of Chicago. Uh, University of Chicago. Um, he got the position as um, assistant professor, which, you know, at 24 years old is impressive. I don't, I, I don't know what you guys were doing when you were 24. I, I remember what I was doing when I was 24 years old, and I don't. <laughs> I exactly right i was hardly hardly remember those days i was up to no good but he was really ambitious really really smart guy and so he gets the position at the university and so naturally what his father does for him then is builds him his own private observatory in their back backyard um their their mansion on kenwood drive in downtown chicago you know as one typically does my father has not returned my calls about the observatory that i've inquired about but you know a a guy can dream right so he gets this observatory and he kind of lends it out to the university too so they're they're using it because it's not too far away from campus really uh but there's a problem with this you know it's it's chicago in the 1800s so you've got the industrial revolution going on you've got soot smog and smoke you know stockyards and uh, conditions were crazy especially during that time i mean you think that you think that is bad? Now it was probably even worse then. And so yeah, those I, kind I of conditions. I think that's something.
2: I think that's something that a lot of people don't don't realize just how awful it was. Like I I have I heard stories from my great grandfather who grew up in steel cities in Pennsylvania about how you'd put on a white shirt in the morning and just going outside not not like going into a factory or anything just being outside in the evening the shirt would be gray. Yeah, like, I think it's hard to imagine for us
1: absolutely you know Mm -hmm. i lived in i lived in la for about a year and i you know i'm i'm sure it's not like chicago in the 1800s but still i feel like i'd walk outside and i'd come back and like just like there was dirt in my face like for some reason there was dirt in like my fingerprints and i could never get it out i dude that's how how it was for
0: me in austin plus the heat it's like walking through a wall of like moisture and
1: grossness (laughs) you're just existing in your own sweat like you don't have to do any (laughs) physical activity you're just dirty and sweaty all the time yeah it's not fun but
0: you have to look through the telescope that because your father got it for you you know you can't let him down
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah you do right (laughs) so So yeah, the the conditions aren't aren't really that ideal. So that's not that's not working out for them, as far as observing goes. <clears throat> so Hale, uh, you know, kind of reaches out to the uh, president of the university at the time was William Rainey Harper, and they start working on this educational project. You know, this observatory. Like we got to we got to get out of here. We got to move up. We got to go to the great great north williams bay wisconsin two hours away from the campus so i to to them that's the great north to us that's you know that's 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 a podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think you said
0: i think you mentioned they had they had railway access and that's how they got there
1: they did yeah yeah so the rail uh the railway from chicago as far as it would would go like the end of the line was actually Williams Bay. So like he, he settled on Williams Bay. Well, I don't know if he thought that, like if he was scouting out areas and he thought, oh, Williams Bay, that's perfect. It's a great location. Or if it was just like, he goes to the end of the line, gets off the train is like, oh, I can't go any further. So I guess this will do.
2: I want you to take me as far from Chicago as you possibly can.
1: (laughs) Right. But I mean, I can't back in, back in 18. Well, the project started in 1895. It only took two years to build the observatory, which if you see this place and if you're inside of this place, it's amazing. You think, wow, they did this in two years. It's crazy. Especially with all the engineering behind it too. But even back then, you know, I'm sure Williams Bay was like a blackout area. There was barely anybody there. Like the great North of Southern Wisconsin was probably way more pure than it was even today. So conditions were better, even though on average Williams Bay only gets about 170 clear days a year. It was still, I mean, it was good. It was good. It's like if you were to take a six or eight hour road trip up to the Apostle Islands, you know, where you could probably, well, if you go to Door County, you can actually see the Aurora Borealis on some nights. So, um, you know in in some in some circumstances you can still go up north and and see all that stuff so he gets up there and they find their they find their location so um once we got the location we have to you know we need some but we need some money so we can we can build this place it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the project so um hail sought out a uh this guy named Charles Yerkes and of course hence the name Yerkes Observatory now Charles Yerkes was <clears throat> a really interesting guy um he's got he's got an interesting background he was probably one of the most sweetest revered noble well respected men of his time in that area in the field that he was in See, this doesn't work on a podcast as well as it does on a tour. But no, (laughs) because people can't can't see me. Anyway, no, Charles Yerkes was, uh, he was an ex-convict from Philadelphia, actually. Um, (laughs) He was was thrown in prison for larceny and embezzling $400,000 from the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, which today is about $15 million, which, you know, I mean, I can always respect a, uh, you know, a nice, like white collar, um, Robin hood kind of crime, you know, take from the rich and give to the, no, he took from the rich and kept for himself. And he was a jerk. He really was <laughs> for, first hand accounts. Even his family that like is still alive today, like his ancestors, uh, or his lineage down to they're in, uh, New Orleans now, or Louisiana area. They're like, cause wow, that's a whole story about like, you know, getting, uh, getting, uh, Rights to the observatory because originally it was supposed to go to his family. Anyway, that's the whole thing. But they're like, wasn't that guy a jerk? Yeah, he was. He was. He was actually a jerk. He was a jerky jerky, if you will. But (laughs) um, so he gets out of prison and he decides to go to uh the place where all ex convicts and hustlers decide to go to reinvent themselves. Chicago, right? So I don't know if much has changed since then, but yeah, I haven't been there in a while. So he goes to Chicago and he ends up developing the L train, the elevated train, and that's how he makes his fortune. Uh, the problem with that, though, is that he displaces a lot of working class people from their homes. So he did, he, he completely wipes out their houses without their permission, just so he can, you know, make way to, to build this structure. And uh, it doesn't take long before he becomes the most hated man in Chicago. Once again, like he's tainted his good name. He's kind of back at square one. But push come to shove, um, how all this came to be, I think, you know, my best guess is that either trying to find somebody to fund the place and like, as a business strategy, you take advantage of like the guy that's most willing to give you money to kind of like get back in good graces with everybody. I don't know necessarily how it all came to be. That's what I would have done personally. But uh, Hale goes to him and he's like, all right, I got a proposition for you you help me fund this place and you'll get your good name back you'll get in nice and tight with all the very successful rich people around geneva lake whose um, mansions are still there like you can go there and uh, tour those and see those and of course you'll get to put your name on the world's largest telescope so of course he agrees to that and then the project for the observatory was about eight hundred thousand dollars which today that would be about thirty Uh, million dollars today but that's not just the observatory actually that's you know charles Yerkes actually um, paid for salaries um, for the staff like for a few years and everything like all in all the whole thing like the observatory itself was probably around five hundred thousand dollars but then all the extra money that went in towards um, paying salaries and like a bunch of extra stuff that's what like the final total sum came out to. So, and then that was, and then that was that, that we've got the observatory. So.
0: That's a pretty big contribution, not just to buy the freaking building, but to pay the people. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I missed that part of the tour.
1: No, I actually just learned that myself. I'm always learning. I haven't been doing this for very long, but we're always learning. Out of curiosity, how long have you been doing these tours? Um, yeah. So let's see, I started in, started in July. Yeah, I started like at the end of July and then I didn't start touring until about three weeks into it. So I had to like bust my ass cramming and learning all of this information and shadowing all the tours before I actually started doing it myself. And uh, yeah, so far so good. I well, mean, even since even since your tour, it's just been I'm still just kind of working on it to get better. But yeah,
0: I was going to ask, uh, how long has this observatory been open to the public?
1: Um exactly how long i don't like to the date i don't know i know that it's just been a little over a year though um we the doors were opened up uh well excuse me renovations started in may of 2020 and then we kind of just opened up the doors and started touring a little over a year ago so it was a lot of work was being done on it for a couple of years until everything was kind of safe enough and presentable enough for people to come and start taking tours and have the gift shop open and all that kind of stuff so
0: it's funny uh, because for me the observatory i drove by it when i was in elementary school i drove by it every day and it was like that haunted house on a hill that nobody talked about it was like what is that over there and nobody knew because you know it was chained off and all this i'm like what are they doing with it do they actually look at the stars anymore um and then i couldn't believe it when i because it I'd driven by it a couple of times recently and I was like, oh man, I, one day I'd like to go in there. And then just lo and behold, I was like, I'm going to see if you can. And that's when I looked it up and found the tour and I was like, oh my God, we're going this weekend. <laughs> like, It looks, it looks super cool.
1: Yeah. And you caught, and you caught it at the, it caught it at the right time. I mean, there was a lot of people that they they tell us all the time, like, gosh, I was here 40 years ago. When I was like, you've got like 60 year old guys coming in like, gosh, I was here. I was here in middle school and I haven't been here since. And I thought this place was closed down. Now, of course, when the University of Chicago owned it, tours were scarce. There wasn't a lot going on with that place. And by that time, I mean, during the 80s and 90s is when it stopped being like a full blown like students live in the observatory because students did used to live in the dorms up in the attic. Like it stopped being that kind of place a few decades ago and it just, it just slowly started to, it, and that's why they ended up giving it up. You know, they didn't have any use for it anymore, but um, yeah, people haven't been there for decades. They come back They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I didn't even think you were open. And of course, you know, well, we wouldn't have been if this place wasn't saved. Cause it was going to get bought out. It was going to turn into a parking lot. It was going to turn into condos or just another place to shop and eat like a salon or a spa or something, which, you know, a beautiful historical place like that would absolutely be a shame. I mean, it happens enough to places like we, we lose places all the time. And especially such a gem in, I mean, was like Wisconsin, Like, like Mm -hmm. I said, I didn't know this place existed. Like there's no cooler place in the Midwest, even, I think that than this place. And we almost lost it. It would have been, that would have sucked. So
0: that's one thing on the the tour that you said that really struck a chord with me. It was, we almost lost it because so many times I'll be digging through history or or photographs of places that used to exist and they like tore it down and now there's a Costco there. It's like. How, you know, and then you walk through a building like this and it's like a slice of that era of American history. And it's like, oh my God, you can feel it in the walls. You know, it's like, it's a little bit like visiting. I won't say it's exactly like, but it's a little bit like visiting a castle in Europe, which I've only been there once. But when you walk through, you know, a building that's a thousand years old, there's something in those walls. And, you know, one of the, one of the research vectors I've taken with some of what I've looked into is the uh the uh crossover between old fashioned wizard magic stuff to the new science era. So when I walk through this building and I see all of these religious symbols all over everything and I see all kinds of different pointed stars and things like that, I'm making these connections. And uh there was there's one particular uh aspect to many to to the outside of the building which is the columns. The columns, I wish you guys could see them. They're they're covered in like all of these symbols of like the 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 uh the uh what is? Why can't I think of the word? Astrological symbols, uh, the zodiac. Zodiac. Yeah, the zodiac. I knew it was a Z word. But then there's also this face on like every column that's looking like vaguely devilish. Do you want to tell us about that guy?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, there's um, there's a few different faces to point out. <clears throat> um so some of the things so first of all the the building is all made out of terracotta stone it's absolutely stunning and it was done by an architect by the name of henry ives Cobb, and he was out of chicago he um was employed at the university of chicago he did portions of the world's fair he did uh newberry library chicago athletics association the university itself um and it does like it's like when you talk about Europe and old castle stuff, which great point too. I mean, they definitely know how to, how to preserve because imagine if all of that stuff like was just Walmarts and crap nowadays, like they definitely know how to keep that stuff. Yeah. It'd be terrible. But so he was known for his Gothic and Romanesque architecture, which, which you can see in a lot of his stuff. This place is a little different. He did something really unique with this and kind of made it, like planetary and cosmic and curves and arches and like all this kind of really cool stuff. Um, We like to call it our cosmic castle. is what we call it. And um, so, yeah, there's all of these beautiful ornate intricate designs. It's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's not short of humor either, which is where the faces come in. Um, So on the pillars, when you first walk into the building, You've got these pillars that kind of like, I mean, they look like any pillar, but they're kind of the size of uh, small telescopes. And so all the zodiac signs are carved into it. And then there's these faces. So you've got one face and it looks like this, it looks like this sumo wrestler bloated kind of looking guy. And it's actually William Rainey Harper. It's the president of the University of Chicago. Now you've got another face too. You've got this guy with this really long Pinocchio nose and this rat tail haircut. And it's John D. Rockefeller. <clears throat> the richest man in American history. Now, the reason why his nose is so long is because there was a bee there and you can see where the bee was, but it it got chiseled off because they like panic. They were like, because John D. Rockefeller came to visit the observatory one time. They're like, oh, crap, what do we do? We got to get rid of the bees. So there's no more bees there. Although I still would have been offended about the nose. I don't know. Like if you see this thing, it's like, All right. You can hang a cord right. on it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so then you've got this other face. The face that you'll see the most of around the observatory is there's this guy. Um, this dashing devilish looking guy. Devilishly handsome looking fellow with this really big epic mustache and this goatee it's charles Yerkes, except this time he's got little devil horns um and he's all over the place so above the doors like facing like looking down on you over the threshold when you walk into the door you've got this huge satanic like huge horns pointed ears they're pierced and it's and it's charles Yerkes, and then when you go inside the rotunda um, it kind of hard to spot but on there's i couldn't even tell you how many pillars there are inside the rotunda there's tons of pillars there's like dozens of pillars and uh on every single pillar on all four sides of the pillar a little satanic charles xerxes is on every single one so yeah those are those are some of the faces that are hidden inside the observatory
0: yeah, that's that that kind of made me laugh. I was looking around I'm like, "Wait a second. This guy's making like multiple appearances in this building." And uh is there do you know why they they made him look like a devil when he was the main donor?
1: Yeah, and that's that's a good question. I mean, to get inside the mind of Cobb, I would like to know what he was thinking when he did that. Um he, you know, uh, of course he wasn't just picking on Charles Yerkes, you know, he did it to Rockefeller and the president of uh the university of chicago so i guess he was he was picking on everybody a little bit but charles Yerkey. well why <sighs> given charles Yer- Yerky's reputation you know if he's gonna make fun of him if he's gonna make fun of anybody well let's let's poke at the guy giving us all this money and who's who's basically a like a like a dirty ex-convict so that's what he did but it's you know, when they asked him, like, why like, exactly like you said, like, he, this guy gave us so much money to make this place. Why do you keep doing this? Cobb's like, I don't, it's Greek mythology. I don't know what you're talking about. It's got no association to him whatsoever, but obviously that's so not the, true. We so know, the, we the know official, what he was just
0: The official story is that it's not Yerkes. It's a mythological being of some kind. It just so happens that it looks exactly like the guy.
1: <laughs> exactly. With all the, you know, you've got Apollo and the four horses above the door, and you've got you've got dragons and eagles and a and a lion with wings. Like, of course. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. Just, like, it's a mythological you, just, God. you just reminded me that there are gargoyles all over this thing, too
1: yeah well there's the uh okay so there's a female lion with wings there's four of them located around the building they're kind of holding this uh shield with a big y on it I wonder what that stands for and then um well it's actually um a, a lot might think that that is a gargoyle gargoyles by definition if i'm if i'm thinking correctly are actually they have water spouts or drains, like water is able to drain through gargoyles this the the lion with the wings is actually grotesque and i believe that's just purely decorative is what the grotesque is
0: well it's it's you know it's funny i was actually reading an article today about brutalism in architecture mm-hmm. and how suddenly everybody's sort of noticing that our our architecture sucks now so it's like it's such a it's such a rare occurrence now to find a building that has actual ornamentation to it Um, That you're supposed to like enjoy looking at and like walking around in. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be a, a, that's been a topic uh, that we've covered before, but um, yeah, that's again, another reason why, like, if you live in the area or even if you don't, you should go see this thing because there's just not many things that look like it. I mean, it's got a cool telescope. Don't get me wrong, but the building is like, it's, it's impressive. And honestly, I can't believe it's in fricking Wisconsin, (laughs) you know?
1: yeah of all places it's here and you're absolutely right like it's it's architecture i mean there's great modern day architecture and that's all well and good but stuff like this is just a dying art you really don't see it anymore
0: it requires a level of craftsmanship you might even say we don't have or at least don't practice frequently yeah um i mean this is this is stuff that was you know hand carved and and all that stuff um (sighs) But it, it also lends an extra level of intentionality, like all those symbols are, aren't there for like by mistake. They aren't there just because they're ornamental. They're, they have a specific reason for being there. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, the, the more controversial symbolism that's at the top of some of the columns of the main hallway. Um, <laughs> I'm sure people can guess what I'm referring to, but I'm going to let Dylan describe it because, frankly, he probably recognizes all the symbols and I don't.
1: Oh yeah so like in the rotunda those the like the religious iconography and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah so yeah in the rotunda when you first enter uh which is i mean you got to see it for yourself but holy moly um i mean i i go and i go into work every day and i still just it never gets old i can't it's it's amazing but yeah there's there's these symbols some of which are pretty standard but other ones are kind of a little different you take like you take like a double glance like what the heck is that so there's um there's stars of david there's large ones those are all over the place there's four of them uh up towards the ceiling and you've got the fleur-de-lis the national symbol of france is kind of all over the place in various different shapes and forms and on the stars of david you've got these celtic knots that are intertwined in it which is um kind of Cobb, representing his background he was from brookline massachusetts he studied at mitc he was an irish catholic so primarily what you're going to see in the rotunda there's a lot of fleur de i don't know exactly why religious symbols were chosen to be carved into the building in the first place or why those specific ones Um, but there's this one that's like in a row with the florida lee and the National uh and the uh the star david you've got this one that looks like a swastika and it is essentially um and that always that always throws people off you know what what is a swastika doing doing in this and like when you renovated why didn't you Why don't you kind of just get rid of that? Well, I know it has a bad connotation, of course, you know, but this was the 1890s. This was long before Hitler turned it into something evil and ruined it for everybody. This symbol, um, was used in a lot of different cultures, 40 plus different cultures, Hindus, Buddhists, indigenous Americans. And originally it was a symbol of peace. And of course it had celestial meaning too, just like, you know, a lot of religious symbols do star of David, of course, and even the cross, uh, has celestial meaning um on the floor of the rotunda even there's i mean there's there's a cross there's like this plus sign in the center is what it looks like and that's a greek cross and then the entire building itself um which you wouldn't be able to tell just by looking at it um like face on but the entire observatory if you looked at it from an aerial point of view is in the shape of a giant roman cross so there's a lot of there's a a lot of a lot of religious symbolism and uh iconography throughout the building which is interesting the rotunda itself kind of like it 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 definitely has that gothic architecture um there's definitely gothic architect influence in the rotunda and it, it almost feels like it almost feels like a catholic church when you're standing in there
0: uh, about the rotunda specifically uh there's a there's some kind of a, a light um is it is it like a window at the very top of it that lets light
2: in
1: yeah yeah that's right yeah that's uh the uh the very center of the rotunda at the very top you look up and there is a stainless glass sun or a representation of the sun um that was uh a nod to hail The guy that founded the observatory because he was most passionate about studying the sun um there's even a portion of the observatory up in the attic that was for the now i'm not an astronomer or anything but there was a portion of the attic for the heliostrat i believe it was called where you could open up the ceiling you could let in sunlight and you were actually able to project like a hologram image of the sun so they were able to study it it's really cool um so and that uh that stainless glass sun that was covered in that was covered in rubber slabs for the longest time they had it completely covered and blocked off cuz it would leak water all the time so we finally got that restored and it's 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 really pretty especially when that sun's coming through it's very nice
0: yeah i i um i thought that was one of the coolest rooms in the building and i i found that um like you said when you go through that rotunda you just want to stop and like look at it um you know i i wanted to do research into all the symbols that i saw there because again like when we've um i was gonna say there was a film what uh what was it a trip to the moon was that it
1: the old silent film yeah the old silent film a trip to the moon yeah Yeah, really really famous silent film
0: yeah where they shot the bullet full of the scientists up to to explore the moon and the, that movie starts out. It's so interesting. It starts out and there's a bunch of wizards like standing around like with chalkboards and things and they're trying to figure something out. I can't remember the details of it, but eventually for some reason, there weren't all these, these wizard robes like stars and things all over them. They turn those inside out and now they're white lab coats and they get rid of their wizard hats. And that's when they jump in the that's when they jump in the, uh, the bullet and go to the moon. Um, that crossover between you know old style like astronomer like alchemist kind of stuff into the science world that's something that would have been happening around then where it's like we're no longer in the age of like mysticism but our mystics are now observing the stars in a much more like uh, literal way it's not just strictly sim- like symbolic right Um,
1: yeah and actually that's a good point to make about the religious symbols I think Part of the purpose for that was, back then, astronomy was kind of, eh, it was kind of wicked. It wasn't seen as, uh, it wasn't seen as something good. It was like, kind of like the devil's work. And I can tell, actually, that comes to something that was found on the property that I could tell you about that um, kind of like backs that up but I think part of the reason, and I heard this was explained to be explained to me by another tour guide, Walt, who's, he definitely knows his stuff. He's really good, but it was kind of a way to say like, Hey, you know, we respect religion. We're not, you know, we're not sacrificing people to the gods so we can try to find out what's going out in space. Like we're not, we're not satanic we're not doing crazy stuff like we respect religion It's kind of maybe to bring comfort to people or be like we're not doing the devil's work by doing astronomy because uh, back then they people were really really weird about that stuff
0: well the association of uh of zodiacal study with magic was strong that would have been left over from you know hundreds of years before of that's what the mystics and the uh not the mystics but the um the alchemists were up to, they were busy looking at the stars and sort of obsessing about the moon and the sun and all of this sort of thing. And uh, It, it could be fully forgiven for people back then to be a little bit, you know, alarmed at this. Uh, I could see, I could see what you're saying exactly about using religious symbolism to basically disarm people's uh, biases against this kind of study.
1: Sure. Uh, yeah. But
0: of course, of course I want to pull George into this because he's just looking too relaxed right now.
2: Um, is anything coming up for you? We're talking a lot about magic and science. I mean, I'm just I'm just pretending I'm on the tour, honestly, since you've sort of been there and seen this. So I'm just kind of following on, like Googling, looking up the pictures of different things that Dylan's talking about to sort of keep track. And I've got to say, this really is a amazingly impressive building. Um, Well, can I ask you, uh, George, uh,
0: what do you know about the association between science and wizardry like that people might have had back
2: then? Well, um, this goes back to something we talked about way back in the day when we covered John D. The sort of the division between science and wizardry happened far later than most modern people know, really not until well into the 1700s. Do you get much of a clear divide between what we think of as science and what we think of as Pseudoscience or magic. I mean, some of the famous people like Isaac Newton, you know, discovered gravity. Well, he was also really into alchemy and mysticism. Um, Lots of the sort of same names show up when you're looking at the history of science and the history of magic in the early modern period. So it's a it's a very fair association that be in people's minds because for most of human history, the same people who were making advances. Um, in what we consider real science, we're also experimenting with all sorts of what we view as sort of crazy, kooky stuff. So it's, it's a very real phenomenon.
0: Cool. Yeah, I just wanted you to back me up on that a little bit, because I too am a little excited and get ahead of myself. Um, uh, Dylan, I didn't know if you had a further comment on that before we move on to the next question here.
1: No, yeah, that's that sums it out. That sounds about right to me. I know yeah. that there was a lot of connection back then with that stuff yeah
0: yeah it's it's uh it's interesting how that happens um but of course the uh there's you know there's the library and then there's the the work you guys did on the walls i think it'd be funny if you explained the marble in the hallway
1: yeah the um yeah the like the bottom half of all the walls are um have it's this beautiful white um marble walls and uh they're totally original <clears throat> sorry um so <clears throat> the original marble walls uh they did not look that nice before we got our hands on them because they were they were yellow they were stained and disgusting and just just gross um and rusted too because marble rusts apparently which i did not know because it oxidizes and uh, but the main contributor to uh the walls being so yellow and gross is because you know if you can imagine back then for like a hundred years people smoke cigarettes and cigars in that building just willy-nilly whenever you wanted to like the good old days when you could smoke on airplanes and in hospitals and stuff like that people just people just smoked so everything was everything was bland and beige not by choice it was like the all this all the smoke made it like this off white yellow color so uh the restoration process was they took a mud called a poultice that you put on the wall and then you let that dry out for about 24 hours and slowly but surely you you take that color out of it it looks a lot nicer compared to what it did before
0: I think the, uh, the recovery aspect of this is very, very interesting because again, it's like, and, and restoration itself. Like, I mean, I can't imagine what I, I mean, I can try to imagine what those walls looked like before, but they're still a little bit, still a little, little bit stained, like a 50 year old person who's been drinking coffee their whole life. Um, you know, it's, it's, but the thing about it is like, it's just another part of like, oh, there was a stage in human history where everybody was like smoking all the time inside and here are the literal physical remains of that like those yeah. little those little nods of like we've been through a lot together <laughs> kind of stuff like i love all that and you know do you want to i don't maybe we should talk about the the library a little bit because i i know li- talking about a library can sound boring or whatever but maybe you could just give us a, a little bit of like what you guys have
1: in there right now uh the library uh the which one
0: oh i meant i was thinking about it in terms of the tour the first one that we went through okay the nice first looking. library
1: there yeah yeah uh okay so the and drake library donated to us by and drake wonderful lady she's building a um uh a women's business school uh further down by the lakefront close to the property uh she donated that library to us now i always tell people if you're ever curious as to what parts of the uh observatory looked like before especially the marble walls or the library that I'm about to talk about watch the movie chain reaction from 1996 with Keanu Reeves cuz there was a there was a big part of that movie that was actually filmed at the observatory so it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch that like the, this library looked like him and Rachel Weiss are sitting in it at one point I'm like it's like drab and there's carpet it's gross i'm like really that's what it looked like before
0: so so the library was donated and appeared in the film so when you say it's donated does that mean somebody specifically chose to restore that section
1: yeah right okay okay yeah the, the the money was donated to restore or renovate that library right
0: yeah well that's pretty cool it's funny because like you used that opportunity in the tour to pull a big prank on us and you looked at your watch and you were like Oh no, we ran a little long in the library. Uh we're going to have to skip the great refractor. And then I was like, "What the hell is the great refractor?" And everyone in the room just was like they totally bought it. They were like, "Oh, come on. What are you talking about?" And I was like, "This it's a joke, obviously." But when I heard the words great refractor, it was like it was like that little jingle from Back to the Future where it's like oh something just super special was just mentioned and I didn't recognize it at all. So we go out of the library we go back into those smoky-colored marble walls, and we go up the stairs, and there's like a vault door, leading to something, and I have no idea what it is. And Dylan goes up there. He opens the door, and inside is that telescope that I saw in a picture like a week before, and I was just like, "Whoa, uh, this is some, this is next level." So, I I'll try to describe it how I saw it going in. You walk into this humongous like rotunda it's like I mean it's gigantic and there's this tower in the middle that's like metal and you know whatever and they got a stand up of Albert Einstein next to it but then atop this tower is this massive like cannon of a telescope and it's amazing because it's like it's it's kind of rusty in places like the paint's flaking off you know this thing is showing its age and it's just like I walked in there I was just like my mind was freaking blown Um, but then there was one thing I didn't even notice, uh, until later on. And that was the freaking floor, (laughs) which I'm going to let Dylan talk more about this entire room, but, uh, I just had to give my firsthand experience of seeing this thing in person for the first time.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the great refractor, which is the world's largest refracting telescope is located in this massive dome behind these heavy vault doors that you open it up it's just it just pops and rings out like echoes throughout the throughout the dome i love doing that every time like and then like as soon as as soon as the, the the vault door cracks open everything goes silent and then people standing on the stairway can kind of like see the telescope a little bit and then you just hear oh yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's great it's great but Yeah, so the the telescope um, located in this massive dome, it's the world's largest refracting telescope. So, of course, there are larger telescopes that exist, um, but a refracting telescope, which it still holds strong to this title today, is the world's largest lens telescope, is what the refracting part is, as opposed to um, reflecting telescopes, which uh, are updated technology, those use mirrors because they take in more light. Therefore they capture better images. The telescope is, I mean, it is magnificent, majestic. It is truly a piece of history. Um, it is 160,000 pounds. The, the, the tube of the telescope is 65 feet long. It's perfectly balanced with counterweights. So you can push it around by hand with little to no effort. You can point it any direction that you want to, north south east west because obviously you need to look at the entirety of the sky now the dome the dome itself the metal part of the dome just the top of it weighs two hundred eighty thousand pounds and that sits on you know the rest of the dome underneath which is made of brick now that dome opens up in the center so you can look out into the night sky and it rotates 360 degrees Um, and then of course, depending on where the telescope is pointing, you obviously need to be able to look through the eyepiece. So that's where, that's where this floor comes in that you were talking about this, this big, everybody always says like, oh, geez, did they play basketball? in all in here, it like, it kind of, it kind of seems like a, like a basketball court kind of floor, but this big platform that you're standing on is actually the world's largest indoor elevator so it weighs seventy four thousand pounds it's suspended 26 feet in the air with these cables and also more um uh counterweights for when it goes up and down so it can go it can raise up 23 feet in the air up to this upper balcony um and i love going up there too you go up to the upper balcony and then there's doors around the top that you can actually go out onto an outer balcony outside which you know nobody ever gets to do that but You know it's you know special access it's really cool uh if you're ever able to do that you can see out across the lake and everything like that it's 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 spectacular um but yeah this this telescope is the first and last of its kind truly historic i looking through it you know which i finally got to do just a few weeks ago i saw saturn that that was that was that's my baby that was the only thing i wanted to see and it was like no experience i'll ever have entire life it was absolutely phenomenal now well, that's you that,
0: all... that's i don't mean to interrupt but that oh yeah go that ahead. was cool because the day i the day we came there uh i think it was the day after you'd gotten to do it and you had a photo on your phone taken through the eyepiece of saturn like there's something there's something more magical about seeing it through this is going to sound really silly i think but There's something more magical about seeing it straight through a lens as opposed to a piece of technology that's more complicated than that. Like this is just a couple of, this is some, you know, some, you know, well-designed large lenses or whatever. And that's the only thing between you and seeing this celestial object, you know, it's got to be awe-inspiring to be able to look through that.
1: It, it absolutely is. Um, now, the lenses themselves, um, there's two of them in the refractor, and they each weigh 1,000 pounds. Those are big pieces of glass. They originally came from France. They got sent over to Massachusetts where Clark & Sons grinded them down. It took three years to grind them down into lenses before they were ready to be installed. Now, yeah, it's great that you bring this up because looking through the telescope. A refracting telescope where you're only looking through lenses i always like to describe it to people as looking through like the world's best pair of eyeglasses so there's nothing in between you and what you see in the night sky as opposed to computer uh telescopes that are hooked up to computers and you punch in codes and mirrors and it's like you're not looking directly at something you're looking at the reflection of something and there's something absolutely intimate and romantic about there being nothing in between you and what you see in the cosmos and you're looking you're looking at the past literally i mean you're looking at light that has taken light years to get to you and you're you're literally looking into the past and when you're putting your eye up to something where you're connecting to people in the past you're connecting to Edwin Hubble, Harriet Parsons, Mary Calvert, um, <clears throat> Carl Sagan, even. He he went to he got he got his graduate degree from from Yerkes, which blew my mind. Carl Sagan's awesome. He's a rock star. Um, and even Einstein. Now I don't know if Einstein put his he actually looked through it, but Einstein, Einstein was there and he looked and he may have looked through that telescope. And it's amazing to stand there where he did. Um now, you you also did mention the car- cardboard cutout of Einstein that's sitting in the dome. And of course, that's there for good reason, because Einstein, if, uh, if anybody doesn't know, see, there's a common misconception that Einstein, uh, that Yerkes was a big part of his career, like, oh, he taught here for like 40 years or something, because people always see this picture that we show on the tour. And Einstein was there, but instead of 40 years, it was actually four hours, Um, there was only two places that he wanted to see Um, it was his first time in the United States it was 1921 he was 41 years old he wanted to see Niagara Falls the Yerkes Observatory so he came he did a short tour for about four hours got this picture with the uh, with the staff of Yerkes in 1921 and what's really cool this this photo if you ever look this up Einstein at Yerkes or whatever it's a really it's a it's a really famous photo and if you're from the area or if you ever you know you go down to you know the nearest restaurant in downtown williams bay you're this this picture is everywhere um but shortly after that picture was taken einstein won the nobel prize in physics so it's it's, also useful for scale because yeah and then of course you do the not do a with them of Like even looking at pictures afterward, I was like, it's not so. the
0: same. You gotta be in the room looking up at this thing. Uh you know, you you played it up like it was something super special, but uh you did actually open the rotunda for us, which was such a cool thing because I don't know how old all that tech is in there that opens that up, but it sounded like a giant steel beast coming to life. It was like something out of a steampunk uh movie or something like that. Um and then you even fired up the elevator for us and we went up and down a little bit and we, somebody got a video of you like moving this telescope almost effortlessly. And it's just gigantic. The whole thing is just like a, it's, it's a wacky experience. It's, it's a, it's like a really, really, really cool thing to see if, if you're in the area, or like I said, even if you're from far away, come see this thing. But uh, that's, I think that's the, the prop that was definitely my favorite part of the tour. And I'm sure it was for most people there, but it, I don't, it was kind of funny because we went into the, the um, other library right afterward. And I think most people would be like, ah, this is, it's just books. Right. And, but the one thing you had, there was a, was a book that had been checked out by Carl Sagan. So you had his little autograph in the back of it. So I was get pictures of that. Meanwhile, I'm just walking around, like, look, you're just letting us look at all these documents and you've got like, like Soviet books on astronomy and just all this old stuff. And I'm like, I could spend all day here just combing through this stuff. I and mean, how much time have you spent up there? What do you have in the library?
1: I've spent, oh god, I've I've spent a decent amount of time up in the library. Um, I've I've spent, uh accumulatively like maybe five hours in the library just looking around. I mean, there's only so many books, but you know, if you're if you're weaving through all of them, a lot of time is spent just like looking at pictures or reading things. You know, some stuff is dated. It's kind of fun to learn what people thought then as opposed to now um Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but uh matter of fact i think after did i show the franz kafka book metamorphosis okay so i ended up finding that actually okay so i found the book metamorphosis by franz kafka which if nobody's ever read it, it's a great read and it was signed by william morgan it was from his personal library i ended up finding that now i don't know if you remember but william morgan um he was an astronomer at york He's, he worked there for 68 years and he was actually the guy that discovered the shape of our universe that were a spiraled arm galaxy and like i when i first because i've got an I've got a english literature degree and you know i was teaching high school and all this stuff uh before i came to the observatory and that tickled me pink. I, I geeked out. I was like, Oh my God, it's metamorphosis signed by William Morgan. That was so cool. So that was, that was a fun little thing that I had found up in the library. And of course the Carl Sagan book too. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's, that's so cool. I love, I love all that stuff. Uh, so I had a, I had a question Um, sort of going back a little bit. So I'm, I'm very mechanically minded and I like to know how things work. Um, you're talking about the, the way the whole apparatus can move around so sort of smoothly and easily i wondered if you knew about any anything about how that how that works because like i know with i was it made me think of lighthouses because they're also rotating giant huge heavy lenses and i know with those they actually sat the pivot sat in a pool of mercury to lubricate it and make it spin smoothly so the lighthouse keepers would all go insane over time and so <laughs> i wondered how the how the the rotation mechanism of being able to move because i've got to imagine those lenses weigh just tremendous amounts
1: um the lens yeah the lenses weigh a lot so the the movement of the telescope or the dome
2: of the telescope itself uh to be able to move very precisely and yeah and
1: i can try to explain that the best that i can again i'm not a i'm not an astronomer and we do have uh two lead telescope operators that know telescopes inside and out they're they're absolutely great so you know, a shout out to everybody. If you ever get a chance to come and do a night viewing, please, we offer that too. But, um, so everything is run on DC energy, direct current in the observatory. Um, there used to be a small plant on site too, that's no longer there. And we now do Tesla's alternating current and we convert it back into DC. But that's, so that's how everything um, is powered. But as far as the telescope goes, um, it is automatic, like it has automatic tracking on it. It has a clock drive on it, and it has these big wheels with numbers. And basically, you know, you're looking at latitude, longitude. You're looking at inclination, declination, all that kind of stuff. So the telescope is able to automatically kind of go across the sky and automatically track the object that you, let's say, want to take a picture of um let's see but yeah that stuff kind of goes over my head a little bit like it's super super technical i'd have to get like a degree to know how that kind of stuff works but
0: well i had a i had an actual question about the dome so like does that still actually rotate can you make that move oh yeah
1: yeah and that's that's something i didn't do i don't like messing with rotating the dome because i've heard that like once you start it sometimes it'll just keep going and i'm like no no thanks (laughs) But <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't blame you for that, especially an object that's right.
1: <laughs> so, but <clears throat> yeah, it does still rotate 360 degrees. Absolutely. Yep.
0: So um, I, I, I missed this. I meant to I meant to cover this earlier, but you mentioned something that you've discovered on site that had something vaguely to do with. Um, I don't want to say this wrong, but implied some no that's the wrong way to say this how, how do i want to say this you said there was something you discovered recently on site that further confirmed the connection to uh like
1: religion and uh, science what is the word
0: yes religion. And, i'm so sorry i sometimes i freeze up too so <laughs>
1: <clears throat> yes there was okay and this 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 was funny um this was presented to me by by walt the other the other two a guy tour guide, the um, outreach uh, uh, tours and programs um, director. So he found this letter that was written by a groundskeeper. I think it was dated back in the 1930s. And basically it was this rant. He's like, dear Yerkes scientists, Um, basically like paraphrasing. He he says, uh, you all need to stop what you're doing um, and you need to burn the observatory to the ground because whatever you're looking for out there is not meant to be found. Um, you all need to find God. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah it was, that was that was interesting to see.
0: <laughs> that is very interesting. Is that something you found like in the library or some archive or something?
1: I don't know exactly where it was found. It was buried somewhere. I'm sure it was with a bunch of other papers and documents. Very well could have been the library, yeah. That is
0: so interesting. I, I, you know, see, I understand, I understand again, that it was a different time and people were more religious back then. At the same time, like that, I I don't know, there's something about that. That's, that, that just feels like it's not like offensive. It's just interesting. It's like, <laughs> I wonder what that perspective was where that guy was like, what is he afraid that they're going to find? Or is what, what is he afraid that they're going to see, you know, peering into the universe like this, man, that is interesting. I really like that. I mean, there's got to be some other cool things you've found in there, just like random things like that.
1: Me personally, I have not. Um, You know, I, I, I found the Carl Sagan book. I found the William Morgan, Franz Kafka, uh, metamorphosis. Those, those are really cool stuff like that. Like I, I haven't dug into the observatory in depth that much. Plus, there's, there's a lot of like um, cataloging, processing, and sorting through a lot of artifacts in the observatory, excuse me, in the observatory that I don't necessarily want to like cross any lines or, um, you know, get oh, into okay. get into Understood. something that I don't want to. I I have no idea, but I haven't got that far into depth. I was glad that that was brought to me and showed to me because now I have that. Now I have that knowledge. It's a fun little thing to find, but I haven't found anything personally like that or anything else like that. And still,
0: I think the letter's cool enough. That's, that's, I love, t- man, I, I just lo- it's a good, it's another reason why we need to be preserving these things. Because like you said, I think you said this earlier was, um, people thought differently and it's important to understand how people can actually change. Well, I mean, this, that sounds banal. There were different modes of thinking and different, um, sort of regions of thought that people were in back then. And I find that all super fascinating. And, you know, I think uh, one of the most important things I've ever done is read things from a hundred, 200 years ago, not because I wanted something from the content, like specifically, I didn't read a book, you know, for the story, but I read it for the language of it, you know, like how people used to write that sort of thing, what they used to focus on. Like, you know, for example, like, in uh, novels, like it became super popular, uh, to start describing like, uh, sensory details, like early on in novels, uh, they start, it started to become a thing where it's like, they just descri- they describe like flavors and smells and sensations. When you touch something, all that stuff was new. And it, it scared people because it was like, you were having a virtual experience by simply imagining what a room felt like, or what this meal tasted like, and that sort of thing. And that was all new. And it was considered, um, almost salacious back then to be living somebody else's experience through your imagination. Why? I fi- I mean, like that to me is super interesting, but uh, I don't want to get on a tangent here. I feel like
2: I'm boring you, George. Am I boring you? No, I'm just like pulling up pictures and stuff of, of this, of this place and looking at the gargoyles and the mustache man and the lenses and the dome. No, I'm, well, I'm, I'm following along. It's just that yeah, not having been there, It's kind of hard to visualize without looking. It's
0: another reason for you to come out here, man. Like (laughs) we got to go to the Yerkes Observatory. Um, Well, gentlemen, we are approaching the hour. um, So we won't take too much more time here, but don't, I just want you to have a chance to help people understand the best way they can help the project grow. um, And the future plans for the observatory. If you meet these, if you meet such goals, um, you know, what kind of programs you want to start, you know, anything cool you want to plug.
1: Yeah. Um, I could take a shot. Sure. I mean, um, we are currently going through a $25 million restoration. Um, and we're, we're years away from finishing that. We've come a long way, but we've got a long way to go. Um, we've managed to raise over $18 million of private donations, um, from people that, you know, love and cherish this place just as much as we do um every little bit helps i mean i i got the most amazing like uplifting letter like handwritten letter the other day um with a 50 donation saying like they love the tour they really enjoyed my tour here's 50 dollars. that's fantastic that's all it takes to get us to our goal if everybody can if everybody can come visit us and support us um that will that will help us reach our goals it's going to take a while but we're going to get there and we're very confident and determined that we're going to get there um you can also volunteer if you're in the area or you know even if you you know even if you're not you want to take a little trip come out for the weekend if we have an event going on there is uh On our website, there's an option for you to join, and there's a volunteer option. You can sign up to volunteer for an event because you know we're not we're not a large crew. You know we're you know we've got like twelve people. You know, kind of the backbone of this observatory, running it Um, outside of the board members, which are great. They're always coming here helping us too, and uh, putting on events. But we can always use volunteers. That's a great way to help out. That's it. (laughs) that's good.
0: Well, what do do volunteers do? Do they get to go into like super secret parts of the building and like paint the walls?
1: (laughs) No, I actually well, I actually uh, there was a there was a guy on a recent tour where he was like, you know, like what you said, like when he went up to that research library, he said, I could just if I could just get like two hours in this research library, that would that that would be fantastic. Is there any way that I could get in that research library? And I was like, Yes, there is. If you want to volunteer, if you want to join the team and help us out, yeah, absolutely. You can you can get some face time in the research library and look through the books. You know, you can you can go up and see more attic. You can see the basement. You can see all kinds of stuff. You can you can get some inside knowledge and you know behind the behind the scenes insight on this place that people normally would not be able to see. So I definitely encourage people to volunteer.
0: One other thing. So I went on the main tour and there's like a, there's like a special tour, another tour, where you visit other parts of the, other parts of the observatory. What's what's that all about? Yeah,
1: we've got a few different tours. So we've got the space and spaces tour, which is the one that I do and uh, Jonna and Walt. Um, Everybody's great. And uh, there's the hidden, hidden spaces tour that's every friday at 10 30. um now as far as tours being subject to change that's possible because we are hitting the off season it starts to slow down a little bit um, our peak time is you know spring and summer uh that's when we go go full out and <clears throat> but hidden spaces tour you can see the basement um you get to see the attic you even get to check out one of the other telescopes because we've got two smaller domes with reflecting telescopes in them a uh, 24 inch to 41 inch so you can see one of those there's a lot of other stuff you can see and then we've got an arboretum tour where you get to walk around and um look at the landscape and get the history of some of the houses on the property and all that so there's a lot of options you know there's there's almost there's almost an the option for you know kind of whatever whatever anybody's into if you're into landscaping history science i mean it doesn't matter it's, we've we've got some for you even people that aren't you know you could have the most non-sciencey interested person people leave this place like this was so fascinating i'm so glad i did it like i i guarantee you, you wouldn't be disappointed if you came to visit
2: so this is this might be going off um sort of the the usual stuff you talk about a little bit but before you leave i wondered if um you could tell us just a little bit about sort of how you got involved. Because when you said your background was that you'd studied English and got an English degree, you don't necessarily think of, you know, working at a astronomical observatory as the the normal trajectory for if you study English. So I was wondering how, how did you get involved in all this?
1: Yeah, like I said, English degree, um, English literature, secondary education. I was um, doing my student teaching and uh on my way to getting my teaching license and decided that uh that wasn't for me but i also have um uh i have a background in performance you know high school theater whatnot i lived in la as i mentioned before well what do you do when you go out to la i was trying to i was trying to act well that's like winning the lottery good luck but uh, plus i hated it out there anyway um but yeah no i just i I decided to change career paths and, um, I just so happened to, I, I was, I was looking for new careers online and I saw this place, uh, you know, they're, they're still in their infancy. They're growing their team. They're looking for, they're looking for uh tour guides. You know, we just recently hired like even just a couple of months before me, um, um Dr. Steele an astronomer Mallory education outreach, like we're still growing our team. Um, but i saw this place online and it was an observatory now of course i didn't think much of that either i'm like okay it's an observatory i mean that's really cool i can appreciate you know museums and stuff like that i love that stuff but i was like okay well this could be this could be fun so let me check it out well it turns out you know they were looking for somebody that was you know oh like what they asked me mainly was oh you know you ever do any performing what kind of background do you have in, like you know the performing arts a uh, theater film all that kind of stuff and just so happens i was like oh well let me tell you um <laughs> so that kind of got my foot in the door um now of course there's a lot of different roles uh very important roles that people play uh in keeping up this fine establishment of ours um you know we've got lead telescope operators we have uh two Astronomers, very, very, uh, very smart, really good people with great ideas that I think are going to be great for the company. Um, but specifically for me, you know, the public education system wasn't as fulfilling for me as uh, it might be for a lot of people. But um, I found something where I do get to teach, I do get to educate people on something amazing, something that you're not going to find in school. Um, I get to perform which is super satisfying for me. I get to learn, um, and I get to be creative. You know, I get to work with a really creative team. I get to come up with ideas. I get to think of events and help plan, um, programs for the future in, in a really fun way, in a way that I haven't really been able to express or exercise before. So it's, it's really a dream come true. It's, it's a great place inside and out for, for the people working there and visitors alike.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Cause like when I asked you to be on the show, you were like, well, there's more knowledgeable people. I'm like, but there's not more entertaining people. I'm almost certain of that. <laughs> uh, it's funny to hear you actually have a background in performance and you left LA. I was trying to bust into the industry too. And so I ended up making a podcast instead. And I know in this, the work that uh, George and I have done on this show, um, researching so much history and interviewing people who, you know, have, have, places that are, you know, actually still like running as museums and that sort of thing. It's changed me just looking into the past like this. And I guess this is my sort of final question then. um, How have you changed since you took on this role? I mean, ha- how has your perspective changed on history and science and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. And I've thought about that a little bit, not, you know, how have I changed with this position uh, not to get too personal or anything, but I can kind of I can scrape the surface of that. Um, I've definitely seen some changes and I've noticed some things. First of all, I think I I speak for like almost everybody that when you were a kid, you were fascinated with like two things, dinosaurs and outer space. And I noticed that when I started working here, all of that started to rush back. Who hasn't wanted to be an astronaut? Who hasn't been just absolutely fascinated by planets and outer space and, uh, you know, flying in a rocket ship to, to the far reaches of the universe. When I started working here, all of that started to rush back. It was really nostalgic. And I was like, oh my God, I remember what this used to feel like. This is this like puts things in perspective. This makes me feel like warm and fuzzy. I feel like a kid. This is like sparking my imagination. It's just so fascinating, you know? And being able to learn about this stuff, like at your own pace and in a really cool environment, is super satisfying. Because, like, I'm already finding myself buying like astronomy books and wanting to learn more, and it's actually interesting. Whereas if I was doing it anywhere else, it'd be like, "Oh god, this is boring." Yeah. But so that I've noticed also, just on a personal level, um, you know, I can be. I can be kind of a caged up shy kind of person. I'm not great socially. I don't like going out in public and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my social skills are getting better. Um, I have, I meet super interesting people. I mean, come on, look at where we are right now, Aaron. I mean, Mm -hmm. I met you. This is great Had a great conversation with you. I meet a lot of really cool people. It's opened me up a lot more. It's made me more social and interactive and, it's made me want to listen to people listen to their stories and you know their experiences with 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 science or things related to the observatory because people love talking about it and it really is interesting listening to their stories and i've definitely opened up to to that a lot more
0: that's great you know and i love asking that question um this this will probably sound pretty funny to you and you're probably gonna go "What, what the hell am i doing here on this show the last guy we interviewed uh, he used to, he used to be a trucker. He's about my age. He used to be a trucker, um, like, you know, cross country, all that stuff. Now he makes his living, uh, hunting for werewolves. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Right. So,
0: and he makes videos about it and he's, he's now like absolutely killing it out there. Um, but you know, you ask a question like that, you never know what you're going to get in response, but, uh, I always like to get a little bit of a personal touch on there. Uh, cause I know for me, like the reason exactly what you were saying When I walked in there, I was like, okay, there's, this is something different. I have very little interest in science. I actually have several times spoken askance to science on the show, but when I went in this building and after I got off that tour, I was like tingling for like two hours. Cause it was like, it was so good. And uh, I I think the historical aspect of it interested me the most because, you know, I'm just a history nerd, I guess, Um, but the, the the effort that I saw going into preserving this little chunk of history uh was so encouraging and such a such a motivator for me to be like, Yes, we need to have more of this. How can I contribute? And that's when I was like, I need to have this guy on the show. <laughs> he needs some publicity. You know, we just one of our interviews we did with uh, the the Pesh to Go Fire Museum. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Pesh to Go Fire. Um, it's a museum up in like several hours north of uh, Williams Bay. It was one of the largest fires in human history and nobody ever talks about it because it happened around the same time as the, uh, the Chicago fire and, but nobody knows what caused it. And it's super spooky to read about, but we spoke to her and we got it. We got off the, uh, we got off the interview and she was like, oh, that was fun. Um, uh, I enjoyed that as much as the last one. I was like, well, who's, who's the last person who had you on? She's like, oh, I, I think she said it was Vox media.
1: <laughs> like, oh wow i've heard of them
0: <laughs> Like, well yes that's some good publicity right there and while we aren't uh the size of vox media we know that we do have a loyal audience that will check these things out when we tell them to and i'm telling you check out Yerkes observatory and on that note any last words gentlemen before we close out
2: no i don't don't think so i just want to yeah thank dylan for being here and i've been very much enjoying my sort of remote tour as i pull up the little pictures of the gargoyles and things and yeah no i i hope that when i eventually and it will happen one day when i eventually make it over to the midwest uh to visit aaron i'm i'm hoping you'll you'll be my tour guide when i go to the observatory
1: i if if i ever see you there i will be sure to get on that tour
0: (laughs) right on Okay, thanks again, Dylan, for showing up. Everybody, I hope you have a great week. Until next time, this has been We Talk About Dead People Space
3: Edition. I'm not very good at uh, singing songs, but uh, here's, here's a try. Scratch. You must first invent the universe. Space is filled with a network of wormholes. You might emerge somewhere else in space. Somewhere when else in time. The sky calls to us. We do not destroy ourselves. a morning filled with 400 billion suns, the rising of the Milky Way. The cosmos is full beyond measure, elegant truths of exquisite interrelationships of the awesome machinery of nature. I believe our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos, in which we float like a boat of dust in the morning sky. But the brain does much more than just recollect. It intercompares, it synthesizes, it analyzes, it generates abstractions. The simplest thought, like the concept of the number one, has an elaborate logical underpinning. The brain has its own language for testing the structure and consistency of the world. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose A morning filled with four hundred billion suns, the rising of the Milky Way. sky calls to us, if we do not destroy ourselves, we will one day venture to the stars. For thousands of years, people have wondered about the universe, did it stretch out forever, or was there? Big bang to black holes From dark matter to a possible big crunch A rummage of the universe today is full of strange sounding ideas How lucky we are to live in this time The first moment in human history When we are, in fact, visiting other worlds A still more glorious dawn awaits Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns the rising of the Milky Way. A still more glorious dawn awaits. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. Recently we've waded a little way up and the water seems inviting.